Welcome to another episode of CX Talks. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of CX Talks with Clarices. I'm here again with Tom Carpenter and myself, Simon Vloss, and thank you for joining us today. We wanted to talk uh, about a topic that's quite exciting, we believe, in terms of the future of customer experiences, but also how you can really build revenue and grow your customer base, and that's personalization. Now, personalization at its core has a lot of factors to it, and that's what we're hoping to explore today. So the idea is we're going to be challenging each other with some ideas about what personalization means and also how to make it actually come to fruition when it comes to revenue, profitability, and not just a huge spend. Tom. Any thoughts on personalization to kick us off? Yeah, well, I guess firstly, personalization has obviously evolved uh, as, as time has evolved. So from maybe things like having your uh, initials embossed onto something, being personalization, yeah. to now AI tools adaptively trying to work out what you would or would, wouldn't be interested in based on uh, your past experiences or, or things that you've done or things about you. So there's a whole range of what we would mean by personalization. But I think before we get into what personalization as a solution could be and mm-hmm. how it could help, I think there's one thing which all uh, organizations really need to do, which is understand what their customers do, who they are, and how they behave. Now, you can do that, obviously, by AI learning a little bit about them. But in order for the AI to learn intuitively, it needs to know some things. <laughs> so you could kind of start to think about some typical uh, Kind of if this, then that type moments that customers would do, but really like you need to start from the basics. So that's understanding who your customers are, uh, creating personas of those customers, what will people do in certain scenarios, and then taking those personas through typical journeys of what you would want them to do and how they would interact with your products and what things might be connected together. So let's say, for example, I'm a garden appliances firm uh, and someone is browsing my site and they're interested in lawnmowers. It might make sense for me to therefore share different lawnmowers with them or different grass-cutting instruments. Showing them something completely different, such as a drill, for example, which might be something that you stock, could be interesting to them, but you've not learned enough about them to know that actually is interesting. Right. So you often see in kind of a B2C sense, people just pushing content towards you because it's like, well, you looked at this thing and this other thing is by the same company or it's a similar kind of category and therefore they're showing it to you. For me, that isn't personalization. That is guesswork. Uh, And we're just trying to work out if someone looked at one appliance, they might be interested in another one. But we're not thinking about what they're actually trying to do and the actions that they're trying to to undertake. I mean, a great example of that, for example, is like maybe I'm looking at an engagement ring. Uh, Maybe I'm a a, a male person. uh, And maybe it's clear that I'm marrying a female person. Is it likely that I'm also going to be interested in wedding dresses? (laughs) Probably not. But you need to know a few things about me to work that out. So if you could work out that I'm a man buying something for a lady, then I probably wouldn't be interested in wedding dress. But if you knew enough about me that you could work out that maybe I'm a lady looking for a wedding ring and I would be interested, therefore, in a wedding dress. Or there's certain things about me that I know. And that's where we get into personalization needing to kind of help drive you to further decision making and understand what decision making that is rather than it being pure guesswork. And the only way I think that we can really do that is to understand the kinds of typical actions and journeys that your consumers would go through. I think that's really valid. So I think it's just to kind of explore that example of the lawnmower is, mm. is the want therefore for us to be recommending a hedge trimmer on the back of that, or is it more around the fact that 
we want to recommend there to be a longer term, I suppose, sales relationship with that particular customer. Yeah, so I, potentially both of those things are true. So you could do something like, for every lawnmower purchase, within the next three months, 80% of those customers return mm -hmm. to buy a hedge trimmer. Firstly, it'll be interesting to know how many organizations could actually work that out. So having this customer identity or record where you could relate that back and using enough historical data to work out that's true. But I think where I'm getting to is, although that might be the case, it's working out what is likely to be a set of actions that relate to each other. So if I'm buying a lawnmower, yeah, I might be actually doing a whole garden refurb and maybe I'm looking at other things. But if there's information I could gather from what the customer's doing or things I know about them to inform that, I should do it. As in, I should personalize if I know things about it. Okay. I think the danger is people are just like, let's just try throwing a load of stuff at people. And that's when personalization becomes unhelpful more than anything. So what data do you think businesses should be trying to use to drive personalization? So when we say knowing your customer, mm -hmm. what do we actually mean by that? Is it just a case of age, gender, interests, or is it more around location? I don't want to sort of put words in your mouth, but I'm just curious, like, what do we actually recommend as being the foundations of personalization? I think historically when people were putting together personas and a lot of people, personas could now be seen as kind of like a, a bad tool because what would happen is you'd be like, well, I'm Tony, I'm a 40-year-old mm -hmm. white male from the Midlands and therefore I'm exactly this person. Right. And we're individuals. So it's completely unfounded to categorize someone by demographic things. Some of that does help. You're basically trying to work out like, are you likely to be more affluent and frivolous therefore you're spending or spend more or spend less and often you see the persona types therefore go through their kind of like your your uh, well-researched tight-pocketed uh, effective efficient buyer versus your emotive uh, on a whim it's because it's something I really just want type of buyer and it's trying to work out based on behavioral things mostly that's when personalization is really powerful either basing it on behavioral actions or on cumulative historic things. So you know that when 80, 90% of people do one thing, it's very likely that they do this other thing and less so necessarily about these demographics. The only thing I would say about demographics is you can filter stuff out of personalization for some of those reasons. Like I was making the point about uh, a dress, for example. Right. Now, obviously there are men who might wear dresses so it would be completely unfair to say uh, you could rule it out for that reason but you could logically assume that it would be more risky to offer a man a dress than not a dress in that example so you can use things which is like based on historical what people do what are they most likely to therefore do next or not do next based on some demographics but i think it is a bit dangerous just to assume that you know, every 40-year-old man who might be called Tony in the Midlands is going to do a certain set of actions. That's the danger of using demographic information for, to personalize. So I think, so yeah, and I, I suppose the danger is one thing. Um, before we go further into this world of personalization, is it really all worth it? I mean, I think you and I both believe it is, but I suppose just for our listeners, being clear about why is personalization worthwhile? Because it does take a lot of effort. It does take a lot of energy. There are companies I've worked for who have got it wrong and have spent a lot of money and not got the benefit, but then there are those who have got it right and seen benefits. I don't know if you've got any examples of sort of the benefits that happens when you do personalize and what the benefit of that is. Yeah, I think, so we've got some examples of the, on a B2B buying journey where people are struggling to understand the products. 
And the particular example I would use is it's a uh, it's a financial insights product on individuals. So it's kind of like a know your customer type right. project. You're trying to find out about them. And there are different use cases under which people would use this product. So you might have insurers, for example. You might have people who are taking people through financial checks for renting a house or others. And the product is really configurable. It can be used for lots of different things. Um, but in that buying journey, by understanding what persona is trying to buy, you would understand what they're interested in. So they're looking mm -hmm. at certain features about your product. You then show them something which relates more to those features because it seems like they're more interested in that use case. And then that is driving a higher funneling, like a higher conversion to people talking to salespeople. So we saw for uh, one of our clients there that the, there was a significant increase in the amount of people who were navigating the website once we personalized some of the journeys on the website, right. who then followed through to actually talking to a sales rep about the products. Yeah, and that relates, I think, a previous client I was working with in terms of publications, mm -hmm. similarly, like, there is no point in advertising the wrong kind of scientific material to mm -hmm. a particular scientist who's interested in, let's say, neuroscience. Seeing uh, anatomy is one thing, but then seeing something that's very related to medical profession rather than the brain or nervous systems or the latest journals on that did not make sense. Um, and I suppose that is personalization from a service offering. Mm -hmm. I think in other worlds that I've seen it work really well is admittedly in b2c um so to consumers or customers is that kind of offering that you find yourself probably in in most day-to-day -day shopping experiences that we are all in but when it works well it works really well and when it works bad it works really badly and 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 it's it's almost those it, it, it's the extremes but when you know that you're somebody who buys as a, as a business if they know that you're somebody who buys and you know, summer shorts in the summertime and then you have a certain color color that you like showing you that kind of advertising material getting you to buy that kind of product is su surprisingly easy <laughs> when it works well but if for example as you say you've bought a birthday present for someone who's not you and then you get offered a very different style or get offered like a shoe that you never normally buy or a suit you never normally buy just because of the one-off last year you kind of feel a bit like oh yeah you're just using an algorithm and i think that's the challenge with personalization overall is like when it works it converts very quickly. It drives huge revenue increase. And that's why that's that kind of like that golden chalice almost of companies going after it. Because when it works, you get basically customer satisfaction, you get customer loyalty, and you get purchases and you get, and, and through that, you get revenue. Obviously, with the business of business world, you get a sense of this business knows us and therefore we should be working with them. And so you don't feel like you're wasting money as a, as a business working with another business. But when the moment it goes wrong, it can be very obvious when it goes wrong. Well, yeah, you're getting onto an interesting topic here as well. So um, I quite like it when things are personalized to me because it takes out an element of uh, deep thinking about yeah. things. It's just like, yeah, I was looking at that, I don't know, type of clothing and you're now recommending a very similar thing. And I quite like that. So you've just skipped out a whole bunch of me researching. So I, I quite like it. I think it's quite cool sometimes. But there are this is a growing collective of individuals who would see it as like really weird and creepy mm. and like, are you listening to me and you know what's going on what's your view on how do you how do you try and balance that it it's helpful and it's useful versus it's it's weird that you might know something and, and it's a bit big brothery <laughs> yeah but i think that's the that's that classic scenario of the creepy versus cool mm. issue right so that moment when you feel like it's encroaching on like 
oh, you know a bit too much about me and you're assuming too much. You get that creepiness. Um, that's when you kind of see customers and consumers and businesses going, oh, no, sorry, no, this is not comfortable. That balance line is really, really powerful because if you get that right, then it's not creepy. It's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And, and you're kind of like, oh, yeah, actually, it saved me hours of searching through this. Um, I, think, I think the thing about the creepy versus cool syndrome is that you have to think about the opting in versus mm-hmm. the automatic focus. So for those companies that have got the kind of coolness working, if you think about companies like Stitch, you think about companies that have ultimately got a bit of a, a, bit of a selection option. And that applies to businesses as well. You know, please provide us with curated offerings of information, curated offerings of services, of books, of journals, or in the case of fashion, curated wardrobe, please. And and when you kind of opting into that, you you kind of know what you're doing. And 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 then the coolness kind of outweighs the creepiness. It's when you surprise people with the personalization that sometimes it can be a win, but often it can creep people out because, mm. you know, there's nothing. I mean, the best example I ever got given for this actually was if you imagine you walked into like your, your supermarket, Tesco's, Asda's, Sainsbury's, whoever they are, and you walked in, they were like, oh, you know what, Simon, you know, I, I saw you had four burgers last week. Maybe you should have a salad this week. And you're like, thanks for that. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's like, but you filled in the option form saying you wanted to be healthy. But it's, it's weird no, when you kind of get that kind of push of, things that might make you feel uncomfortable. And I know that's an extreme example, but then the variances of that can be quite nuanced. Mm-hmm. And so like someone pushing you a new product all the time because you need it can get very annoying, even if you do need it, right? And, 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 and so I think there is that ultimate um, moment to avoid creepiness. My recommendations, I suppose, are to enable, uh, and it feels a bit like the kind of the cookie scenario, but it's yeah, real yeah. in terms of personalization. If you are getting too many suggestions, give your customers the option to opt out, but also give them the option to curate them a little bit more, give them the way to make it more, as you were saying, Tom, helpful, um, rather than just being a, we know you best and therefore mm-hmm. we are going to push you this. And I think that's really important. It's, and I think every client I've worked with to drive a personalization strategy, it's almost been one of our biggest mantras is, are we being too creepy? Or are we being cool? And even that sentence is just a helpful mantra to apply to your team of marketing, apply to your team of product development, to apply to your customer support, whoever it is that you are working with, drive your personalization strategy. Just have that in your head. Like, are we being a bit creepy? Mm-hmm. I think um, you raise a good point as well. Obviously, we have things like GDPR and the California uh, Privacy Act as mm-hmm. well, which forces organizations to ask about opt-in and opt-out. But it doesn't necessarily uh, obligate them to ask consumers about the personalization yeah. like, service that they're kind of getting. Um, and you see it on like social media sites quite a lot, right, where they tell you like why you're getting this ad. Mm-hmm. And you can see a bit of information about why they think it's relevant to you. And you can, you can say, no, you were wrong and you can change this. And I like that because I think part of the reason why many people might perceive it as creepy is because it's completely out of their control. You, you just get this stuff shoved in your face and you don't want it. Um, and as an organization who is doing personalization, 
it might be difficult to get it right all of the time, mm -hmm. but the way to avoid everyone then running away from your the ability to market to them because they do opt out, um, giving them more information so they can decide, maybe they just don't want certain things, but they're okay with other things, means it's not a all-in or all-out kind of situation as well. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I think the the balancing, thinking about whether someone will perceive it's creepy is really critical when you're designing the personalization because you can be like, oh, this is so amazing. This is so cool that we're telling them all of this stuff that they want. Which, as the people creating this personalized thing, is natural to think. But yeah, you've got to think about it from the other perspective yeah. of who's receiving that too. Yeah, and I, and I, just to sort of close that off, I, I do think there is an element as well of um, people are quite willing to opt in if they see a benefit. Mm -hmm. So, and, and that applies not just into the BTC world, but also B2B. It's like, okay, do we want to have personalized offerings? Do we want to get that benefit? Yes. Okay. So therefore we are going to be giving more data mm -hmm. and we'll probably come to this a bit later, but I think the data point is critical to kind of that fair exchange of information to make it meaningful mm -hmm. is because I'm seeing a benefit and I feel okay with that because mm -hmm. actually it saves me time, you know? So me telling a stylist what kind of clothes I like to wear and then them providing me a curated list of recommended, uh, well, clothes <laughs> is, is really helpful, right? Because it saves time. You don't have to worry about going around hundreds of shops to try and find that. But then some people may hate that. So it's about that kind of balancing act of like, there are some people who will be willing to give you that more information and then making sure it's really crystal clear that by doing that, you then get this. Yeah, I think that's really important as well, because a lot of people could see personalization and um, how things are targeted to you as purely more money for the company. Mm -hmm. And probably for when we think about the reasons to do personalization, that will be to drive revenue. But you you're trying to educate those consumers about the products. And obviously, we could be talking about in a B2B sense as well here. So uh, let's go back to the financial uh, services uh, organization I was talking about. We're trying to drive more educated individuals to speak to a salesperson. So they really understand the product, the use cases, how it can be used. And they're like, right, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I want to talk to you now. And that limits the amount of time that they kind of have to spend talking to an actual human being in that scenario, which is mm -hmm. more time for the consumer. And it also does help the business. Mm. And I think it's okay to be more open about that that's the fact. Like we're trying to help you choose a product. So you, let's say you're not spending three hours a day, as my partner commonly does, scrolling through ASOS, because <laughs> there are thousands of clothes, um, which some people enjoy doing. Um, but others of us, me, like I'm fine with them telling me what yeah. things I should be ordering, right? <laughs> so like, it, yes, fine. They are forcing me down a route of you should buy this thing because they want me to buy the thing. But I need clothes and I can't be bothered to scroll for hours. So I'm okay with it. And it's clear that there's that value exchange there. And I think for some, um, like that scenario for me, right, I am okay with it. But working out others where it's like they, they don't think they're getting it, then maybe you need to try and work out those people who they already spend lots of time searching for what they need. Um, and gradually, therefore, giving them a bit more direction rather than suddenly trying to be like, buy this thing, buy this thing. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, I, think, I think you've touched upon something that's really critical here, right? So for in that example, there are people who would like to spend hours searching mm -hmm. and then there are people who don't. Mm -hmm. And if you spend the same amount of energy and money on the people who like to search, you're wasting <laughs> your time. Absolutely. Whereas actually if we find Tom and we're like, 
you know what? We've got a perfect scenario for you. We you don't have to spend four hours on ASOS. You can actually genuinely get a curated uh, wardrobe. Um, but that's that's a great example of how targeting the right type of person or persona, if you want to be specific, is really crucial to making personalization fruitful, both mm-hmm. in terms of revenue, but also in terms of the cost you can spend. Because mm-hmm. I think that's one thing I have seen and previously has hurt a few projects that I've worked on when it comes to personalization is it's not cheap to do. Mm-hmm. And if you get it wrong, you spend a lot of money on pretty much just maintaining a status quo. And I think that's something I'd like to talk about a little bit because to really work out is the effort worth a return of personalization, you have to, first of all, be comfortable and confident on the basis of what we were saying around, have we got the right data in the first place to actually personalize? Because personalizing the wrong way just turns customers away, but also mm-hmm. it costs a lot of money to personalize and you have to do a lot of multivariant testing. You have to try and build up these kind of scenarios that are not as easy as you may expect. And therefore trying to maintain a focus on revenue generation at the profitability level mm-hmm. is a crucial factor to think about with personalization that I found a lot of clients sometimes forget. They get very caught up on the dream state, you know, like the perfect storm of, oh, we've got a Tom who wants basically to have a curated styled wardrobe and he's going to buy it and it'll be like one day and doom, done versus someone else who actually isn't quite up for that and would rather have a bit more of their own input into it and therefore doesn't buy and then you spend the same amount of money on that person. And equally with a curated list from information services or legal documents or whatever it is that that your business is serving, you can sometimes spend so much energy and time trying to create what you think personalization should be for your people or your customers and actually they don't really need it. And I'm not trying to undermine the whole purpose of this podcast, but at the same time, I think there is a really important balancing act to be played here. Yeah, I think you're right. And like personalization can be a whole spectrum of things. Um, and you don't have to start from like the super snazzy yeah. AI driven models, which you would assume you just switch on and they work, but they need to know a lot of information yeah. about consumers to be effective. And we will talk about that a little bit more, like how you make sure you've got the right information. But I just wanted to uh, round off what you were saying there as well. Yeah, I think starting small, working on things where there's an obvious um, need for personalization. So we go back to the financial services scenario again, where we know that there are different types of buyer and we need to make sure that we've understood their different use cases. Mm -hmm. You could do something as simple as trying to create two to three different journeys. And at some point, you're trying to fork these people through journeys. All of that content already exists. All you're doing is making a decision point. It's like, we think you might be more interested in this. Um, and that won't be very um, costly to do. And then you can measure a kind of conversion rates and uh, of that immediately. And then you can try and layer on some other things. I think the other thing that is really difficult, I worked with a uh, technology research uh, organization. So this is like you're looking into the, the how semiconductors are being manufactured and what technologies are going into TVs. Right. And we wanted to personalize the experience of finding that research, depending on who you were and how you found it. And we got to the point where they built an algorithm over multiple years, and it was so unclear why some piece of content was being recommended, because it was like, well, if this, then this, then this, then this, then this, then this, then this. And the algorithm just became way too complicated to understand, and it just wasn't offering it. So we just stripped it right back, and we're like, we're going to do it based on topics they've told us they're interested in. We're going to do it based on the industry they're in and the kind of role that they're in. 
And therefore, it's not going to be hyper, hyper personalized, but it's going to narrow down 10,000 articles um, in a random order to 50 to 100 that are most relevant. And we immediately started seeing higher click-through rates onto those articles just by using those three or four different factors rather than the thousand variables that we had before where it just became too difficult to work out what was really relevant to them. Yeah, and it's interesting you saying that because it reminds me of, I worked with a a retailer on their online personalization for their retail store. This is sort of probably in about 10 years ago, so I know that it's advanced a little bit more. But when we were doing the personalization of the engine that ultimately showed you products, there was almost what we called a uh, a dead-end row or a dead-end aisle, I should say. And the reason that was happening was because the personalization engine was taking all of the previous purchases, using that to then show others, and then resulted in basically the same stuff being shown. And I know that sounds quite basic, but it's a good example of, and I've seen this repeated in a number of clients, where you kind of rely on the fact that previous purchases is what that person's coming back for, or previous uh, services is what the person's coming back for. And unless you throw in the wild cards, or unless you throw in the kind of variances that would be normal if you imagine walking in the supermarket, you know, you get to see like, oh, that, that random like uh, candle on the side, just because you bought a photo frame that happens to be sitting next to the candle, you might buy the candle. But then if you only ever saw candles, you'd never see the photo frame scenario. Now, I know that's a bit, a bit simplistic, but it applies to a lot of product personalization, but also service personalization that you end up assuming that the customers or consumers of your products only want the same thing again. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important when you are personalizing to also think about how you drive that variance and you drive that randomness at the same time as also providing a bit of a tailored service. Yeah, that's true. I think this gets us onto another good topic, which is there are multiple ways of doing personalization. Mm -hmm. We've got the one where it's based on your behaviors and what you're doing. So you, you looked at this before, you clicked on that before, and that you might be interested in this. And some of that is driven by what we think they will be interested in. And some of that could be completely automated AI driven based on volumes of what other people are doing. Um, We then have the one of asking them specifically what they're interested in them giving them some topics like, would you like this? Would you like that? And once they've done that, we then have tailored whatever service or set of products offered to them based on their choices. Mm -hmm. And then we have the third one, which is trying to work out more information about them. So that's the one where you're saying like, you're almost like offering these little like, does this interest you? Does that interest you? And it's not necessarily trying to put them in boxes, you're right, it's trying to make them be a bit more expansive. And I think in in order to do personalization effectively, you can go down one of those three routes, but trying to balance all of those three together is also how you get the best out of it. So you can't know everything about the customer. The more information you have about them, the more that you can personalize. So therefore you need to ask them some questions. Um, And it would make sense to therefore do something with that information. So you ask them, are you this kind of uh, role in this kind of organization and you do this kind of thing? In which case, would you be interested in these kind of things? And they say yes. And you're like, great, we personalize your experience for you. If you want to change this, go back and do this here. But then we use that information to do active personalization as well once we've got that. And we give them the ability to change their own experience Mm. so they can go and tweak some settings and change some stuff. You see on some uh, software applications, for example, you can move widgets around, you can star things, you can favorite things. That's you choosing how to personalize your experience. Um, so I think both things go quite well together because you can ask the customer questions, which allows them to personalize it themselves, and then use that information to drive your automated personalization. 
if you were to just try and do automated personalization, you are in danger of guessing a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it can be based on demographic information. Um, and you will at some point probably need to try and get some more information about individuals. And the reason why Instagram and Facebook are, and Google are so good at it is because they know a terrifying amount about our lives because we spend so much time in their ecosystems that they understand how you interact with your friends. They understand what you're doing, where you are. And very few organizations will have as much information as them. So it really frustrates me a little bit. You go into an organization and we're like, we want our search engine to be like Google. And you're like, that is a multi-trillion pound investment where you have so much data and information on customers to be able to create a Google-style offering. That is a great aspiration, and I, I love the ambition. But we're not trying to do that as organizations. No organization should necessarily be trying to be Google because you can't have that information. You can use Google services yourselves to target some of your customers, but the experience that people are trying to create from a self-service perspective needs to be much more driven by gathering information about customers, understanding more standardized routes that they might go to, and then using Google and uh, Facebook and other um, ad platforms to push advertising, but not seeing that as as your personalization will ever be that kind of personalization. So I think it's good to be kind of grounded in what's possible. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think I think something that just struck me with what you were saying that I think is important, though, is the phasing. So it's interesting sort of, you know, give us this information so that we can personalize mm-hmm. is often an overlooked question, mm-hmm. but actually quite a bold one to say, because then you can start testing whether it's actually worth the effort. And also your customers can feel in control. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know what, Simon, give give me your information about where you live, what you kind of like, and we will personalize your experience for you. Okay, maybe. Give me your date of birth. Hell no. You know, it's like, yeah. there's that, that moment of like, okay, this is getting too much. But it's but at the same time, if they have already built up that trust with you, if if that business is providing you an amazing service and you want it to be even more personalized, it could be, it may not be data birth, but it could just be like, what's your age? And then mm-hmm. also then that benefit of that kind of phasing is you build the trust, you kind of give a bit of information and then with that information, they've given you a more personalized experience. And then you're like, oh, I see what it's doing as a customer or consumer of those services or products. You're like, okay, I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to keep doing it. And then suddenly before you know it, you're like, yeah, hell, they're, they're the people I love to tell everything to because they really, really help my life and they make me feel amazing. Um, and they're very much in my world. Um, yeah, I think, um, yeah, that's interesting, isn't it, the day of birth one? Because historically, they like, and some organizations still do this, you'd be like, if you tell us your exact date of birth, we will give you a birthday present or a birthday treat. <laughs> yeah. And most people in this day and age now, we'll probably be like, mm, I kind of see what you're doing though. Like, I'm having to give away information and yeah, fine, you'll give me like yeah. a free ice cream, but that means I actually have to go into the shop on my actual birthday to get this free ice cream. So consumers are much more educated in what giving away exactly. data actually means. So I think there's no point in trying to be sneaky about it in this day and age. Like consumers are smart. They're going to work out that there's some kind of reason why you want that information mm-hmm. so I, I do think it's important to try and be transparent and honest about why that information is useful and how it's going to be used and the big tech firms are having a lot of legislation applied to them and being um, honest and open about that and i think it's important for all organizations to understand the reason for that is because that's that's really in consumers faces but all companies should be needing to be as transparent with what they're doing with that information and acts like gdpr and the california protection act enforce some of those things 
And a lot of organizations see that as a like, well, I, my checkbox needs to say this or that. They're not seeing it in the way it's meant, which is it's consumer's information. It's not your information. Mm-hmm. And you need to be sensitive of how you handle that. And I think it can help build an intimacy with your customers if you are honest about that. Like, we want your information and we are going to protect that. Yeah. And the reason why we want that information is so that we can try and work out what will be good for you and make sure you get the most out of our products. And if you don't want our products, that's fine. You can unsubscribe. Uh, you don't have to be interested. But if you're interested in our brand and in our products, this information will be helpful to us. Yeah. And, 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 and so just to um, reflect a little bit on the concept of personalization, I, I mentioned before about the cost of it can be very high. Mm-hmm. Right? So you can mm-hmm. spend a fortune trying to personalize the nth level. And actually the benefit is not there because mm-hmm. sometimes the most simplest options drive a sense of personalization. And I think one of the the concepts I've helped a few clients think about and what we've been talking about is, is about how the balance between the cost effectiveness and actually the sense of personalization can be really utilized to create an, and dare I say it, an illusion of personalization, but sometimes that's the case, right? So this most simplest example to bring this to life um, if you are lucky enough to be able to buy a car being built for you, you have a sense of, oh, it's being personalized for me. But the reality is there's four options. There is the, the leather trim you're going to have or the, the, the color inside. You're going to have maybe particular wheels that you can add and then maybe the color of the actual car itself. So there's three options, maybe four if you want to add like a particular level of interior sound that's that's an illusion of personalized product that drives you to feel like that I've customized this and I've created this. And the reason I bring that um, to this conversation, because that applies across the whole spectrum of personalized offerings, whether it's a personalized product, personalized service offerings, you can get the sense that you have a tailored service without actually having to create a genuinely like unique experience, unique product for each individual. And that's really important when you're thinking about your personalization strategy, because if you go for a completely unique tailored products, completely one-to-one white glove service, your costs will just skyrocket. Mm -hmm. And the question you have to ask yourself as a business is, is that going to genuinely be worthwhile? Um, I don't know, Tom, if you've got anything around that, but I think that's something that is is often necessary, is that kind of almost spectrum of how much do we need to personalize to truly make it feel personal. Yeah, we, we get onto a, a painful topic for me personally, which is almost like how many product lines <laughs> yeah. do you offer, right? And I often say you need to give the customer choice and flexibility, but that's in doing exactly as you're saying, by being smart about the like, you want to pay for something monthly or yearly, you want to have access to a certain set of features or not, uh, you want to be able to change one aspect of it. Mm-hmm. What that doesn't then do is create 1,000 unique individual products. Mm-hmm. You're right. It's just, it's the same thing. There's a different color that you pay for in a yeah. certain way, for example. Right. What we're trying to do is create uh, flexibility so the customer doesn't feel forced into doing something that's not quite right to them without creating thousands of product lines. Uh, and I, I, I get it. Many customers will say, like, I must have this exact product and therefore... Uh, organizations will say, well, we have to offer a thousand because, you know, we've got a lot of unique customers who need unique things, but we're almost like bundles are the classic. Yeah. We're almost like patting each other on the back about how like we must have all of this stuff because it is offering a personalized product and all of this choice and flexibility. But in reality, you're offering a 0.0001% 
difference in value mm-hmm. at a 100% cost differential on the other product. So yeah, it has to be like, what is the return on investment uh, for creating a new personalized thing versus w- will someone really not buy it if it's that personalized? Yeah, so I think quite a lot of cost benefit needs to be done in what, what kind of areas you're personalizing. There's also the concept of like whether, as you say, you, you, you're marketing personalization or you are truly offering something personalized, like personalizing experiences, personalizing the product are two quite different things. I think so. And I think, I think getting that balance right is actually the answer. I, I, it's funny how um, I, I just chatted about bundling. A uh, previous client of ours literally had a real challenge because of the nature of bundling products that was seen as like an individual product as a result of, oh, this is the curated offering for, for student X and this mm-hmm. is the curated offering for university Y or whatever. Um, and as a result of that, the supply chain and the warehouses had a nightmare because they had to delay supply. They had to basically add extra steps in the process because the product itself seemed to be a creative one, but it was basically a bundled package mm-hmm. and had to be created. And then, and then the, the challenges of that, and then the outer stocks or, or even though the actual products are there. And so it's really important when you're thinking about how you're personalizing your offerings, the impact it has to the rest of your business, whether it's supply, whether it's it's your product base. But the balancing act, I think, does come to it, 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 the example um, to bring this to life around how you balance experience and product. So talking about tailored service. So if you think about like a personal shopper, we, we highlighted like, I think, example of Stitch or like where you basically have a, a curated wardrobe. They are not creating products for you. They are they are selecting and they're very, quite clever in the way that they balance the overall offer that they give you in terms of some maybe high-end items and some unknown labels that you'd never normally buy. So they balance the product list. They balance the cost to serve that with the fact that there's a curated sale. And then they offer you that personalized experience because you feel like, oh yeah, they really know me. Oh, and by the way, it's easier for me to just buy the whole lot than it is to buy one or two of them. And equally, you know, even just going into a store and having a um, a personal shopper experience, they are not making those clothes for you. They are selecting them. But then the extreme example is you go into like Savile Row and you have like a tailored suit made for you um, that's not off the peg. And, and, and the reason I'm bringing that to life is that I think that same thing applies not just to clothes and tailors and so on, but also to the products and services you offer as a business. Because you could get caught up in the fact that you're like, we have to customize everything for everyone. And maybe that is possible in your field, but majority of businesses we work, that's not going to be cost effective. And actually also is probably not what customers need. They actually probably need a balance of just a curated set of offerings or services or products you already have, but they feel like, oh, you know what? I feel really looked after. And that's where that balance between product and experience comes into play with personalization i feel yeah i agree i think particularly in the b2b world as well that we've come to be this kind of culture of when we sell something it's got to be completely what the customer wants Mm -hmm. and the only way for it to be completely what the customer wants is for them to tell you each thing and then you to offer this completely choreographed basket or bundle of things which just they want where in reality the experience around how they're choosing it and what they choose can have lots of personalization about it. It's like, oh, you're this kind of person. Well, that means you you could well be interested in this sort of thing. Is, is that correct? Oh, yes, it is. Well, in which case, this product looked like it's probably better for you um, without having to have this super complexity in the products. Because, yeah, you're right. 
figuratively, we're saying not all organizations should try to be Savile Row. It, it's a high price tag for a quality mm -hmm. product. And that works for some organizations, but it's not going to work for all. So we're not striving towards that. We're striving towards helping customers make good choices um, and us understanding customers to help them get to that choice and then some flexibility in choice in what they choose, but not seeing as it's like we have to create this completely unique thing. Um, yeah, I agree. So coming, so coming back to the actual challenge of should we be personalizing or not? If I'm listening to this and thinking, right, right, am I doing enough? Am I not? Do you think it should just be offered or do you think there is an element of the customer or consumer of your product actually selecting some personalization that could come into this? I think, so let's say in the B2B world, I think it's very hard to make an investment case for more self-service, lower touch, and which by doing that, you drive a different kind of market segment and target audience mm -hmm. without, having, without having a personalized experience. Mm. Because there's a lot of high-touch sale B2B organizations where you just got to talk to someone. It's very difficult to work out the products. What they offer is very bespoke, but it doesn't need to be. So I think for B2B organizations where you're trying to broaden your market share, you're trying to make your products more accessible. Let's say you're a bespoke uh, software organization and the only way to buy your product is that it has to be set up by a consulting firm like us, for example. What about the small firms where they don't want to be spending lots of money on consulting? They want to buy something out of the box, right? At the moment, it's very much like you're either a highly bespoke thing where it's high touch, uh, cost of sale, uh, high implementation, or you've got this thing which is out of the box. And for me, like both organizations, it's about bridging in the middle. And the way to bridge in the middle is for uh, those highly bespoke things and organizations and products to be offering things which are more off the shelf and then helping to drive customers towards deciding it. So I think that's the kind of key benefits case for doing personalization is how much are you using personalization to reduce your cost of sale, make decision-making easier for customers and offer something at a price point where it would be difficult to buy that product today. I think that's where the real value of personalization comes in, in trying it from the start. I think the danger is people see it as, a, as purely like a marketing-y type tool where it's like, well, let's just try throwing this product in their face throwing this other product in their face that's where personalization goes wrong that's where you get into some of these discussions of it's a bit weird it's a bit creepy why are you shoving all this stuff in my face it's not about sort of like volume of personalization that you're doing you could do very uh limited interventions which are personalized and just see the impact that can have on conversion rates and uh volumes of customers being driven to your sites and then build upon that yeah, I th and I think I think what's interesting there as well is if you think about the experiences your customers are having, and and we've probably talked about this before in terms of moments that matter. Mm -hmm. But I think when it comes to personalization, moments that matter become even more important because you then have to make a decision: is is that point of the journey that a customer is going through potentially automated? Uh, can can you potentially automate it, or does it need a person to interact? So that kind of that decision point around when do I personalize through automation or algorithms or AI or whatever we want to call it, or systems, um, versus just making sure that, oh, hi, Tom. <laughs> Thank you for receiving my call. I wanted to talk to you about my customized package in terms of my offering. It, it just makes a difference, right? And, and sometimes that's where you can get real cost effectiveness because 
yes, there is a scaling thing, but there's also an element of there are moments that really drive a personal experience that sometimes just come down to a really good, solid conversation with a real person mm -hmm. on the basis of real data. Mm -hmm. And I suppose just to kind of um, close out this exploration of personalization, I suppose, what's the recommendations that we have around what you need to think about if you want to drive successful personalization? Yeah. And what are the things to watch out for? Yeah. So I think gradually build up an accurate picture about your customer. Mm -hmm. I liked your point there you were making of like that might be human touch. So that could just be as simple as you phone a support agent and they're they're well aware of what interactions you've had before and what you've done yeah. uh, and then things you like or don't like. Uh, so use reliable data and mm -hmm. information and keep that more limited. Test and learn things in small areas, right? Let's not try and apply personalization to everything. Uh, maybe apply it to some products uh, in small, um, with small user groups, with certain personas, for example, and see how that works before kind of destroying your customer journeys by it being overly personalized. Mm -hmm. Definitely need to start experimenting with AI and how that can take out some of the, um, the manual efforts of gathering the information from the customers. For example, what can you use about their behaviors, which the AI can learn over time. Um, but again, try and do that in ways where you can see the results of it. So it's not yeah. it's not too com it's not too complicated because it's intertwined with other things. You've changed a bit of the journey and you've added an AI, and now we're not quite sure what's going on. So try and do that in the more isolated cases. Um, and my favorite is do some Wizard of Oz. And for those of you who don't know that term, this is a, a kind of design thinking way of trying something out without actually doing any of the implementation. So you're going to do personalization in, in effect without any uh, change of the process or technology build. So you you, uh, you fabricate the fact that in the background you're doing this kind of technology, mm -hmm. this technology is doing it. So it's like you enter a load of information and then it starts offering you a load of products. And that would take like a complicated algorithm to do. In reality, what it's doing is like you enter a load of information, uh, someone goes, mm, okay, that seems are interesting, X, Y, Z. And unfortunately, Stitch aren't one of our clients. But they could well be doing that, right? Like you yeah. give them the information, <laughs> they go away, and then they come back and they tell you, yeah. right? So it's not some automated AI solution that could be really costly. They're seeing if that kind of response works. And if it does, then they can work on in the background automating that, uh, applying some technologies to that to take out all the manual effort on their side. So I would definitely recommend giving that a go as well before investing in lots of uh, different platforms and technologies to try and achieve that without knowing if it's definitely going to add value to customers. Yeah, I, I think the, the word that just came to mind on what you were saying was experimentation is at the core of all personalization. And I think the luxury that we have in the current climate of um, technology advancement compared to probably 10 years ago when this was sort of kicking off is the cost to do experimentation in, with technology, making those if this, then that scenarios, and then telling you whether it was good or bad We've gone away from the A-B testing world into mm -hmm. multivariate, into actual, okay, we now know this actually drives revenue. So when we show someone like Tom this, he tends to buy. So therefore, we will show people like Tom this. And then you may get it wrong, but I think that's the key thing is to never assume you know it mm -hmm. and always to experiment with it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, and I think that's where, and also the other thing to bear in mind, I'd recommend is back to that cost factor. I have seen a lot of money plowed into personalization projects that have gone wrong because there's an assumption that they knew what their customers wanted. Mm -hmm. That's not personalization. That's assumptions on the basis of what you think your customers need, which I suppose is echoing my experimentation point. But really look at the data. 
really look at what the results are showing and don't get caught up on, oh, if we keep going, it's going to work. If it's not working, it's probably just because the personalization is actually shoving people in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. and, and so therefore be open to the fact you may get it wrong. But also be open to the fact that sometimes personalization itself isn't necessary and it's just more of a personalized experience in terms of the offering you're giving or the, the, the you know, personal conversation you're having. That is worth probably thousands and thousands of pounds if you get it right versus creating this incredibly complex systemic uh, personalization engine. Sometimes in your businesses, it's worthwhile thinking about personalization, but not trying to systemize it and instead just being driven by that as a process or principle. Yeah, I agree. I guess this gets us back to the start yeah. as well, right? Like really know your customer. And how yeah. do you really know your customer? Talk to your customer. Test some of these ideas with your customers. We talked about incentivizing people to give you data, for example. Get them in. Uh, do some focus groups with them. Uh, give them some Amazon vouchers. Uh, <laughs> run, run some online sessions with them and really understand what, what makes them tick yeah. and what, what motivates them. Um, Bam. So I think, uh, well, hopefully you found that exciting and interesting to explore the world of personalization. Thanks, Tom. For no, I had a lot of fun doing this. I yeah. know it's great to talk to you about this subject. Um, and... I think we could delve a lot deeper into <laughs> yeah. this subject too. So uh, stay tuned to hear more information about how you can effectively personalize. Thank you. Thank you, listeners, for listening. And we look forward to welcoming you on another episode of CX Talks. <laughs> <laughs>